0: Hello baseball fans, welcome to Sully Baseball, this is the podcast we talk about baseball 52 weeks out of the year, there is no off-season. And I'm your host Paul Francis Sullivan, please call me Sully. I'm recording from a Sully Baseball studio on a beautiful day on the 5th day of February 2018 in Pasadena, California, overlooking the historic Rose Bowl. Yeah, I watched the Super Bowl yesterday and I have stressed many, many times that I have no real dog in any of the fights. I I enjoy the spectacle of the Super Bowl, and I like watching playoff football, but I don't really have any emotion attached to any team. Uh, I mean, I guess I can say I have some emotion behind the Giants, because I rooted for them when I lived in New York, and I've seen the Giants win three Super Bowls. You can say I may have some emotional attachment to the Patriots, who I half-heartedly rooted for when I was a kid, but they've won a bunch of Super Bowls. So I don't really have uh, any emotion. But I don't really follow the NFL. And so I don't know many of the players, and in, in, I don't invest in the emotion. Most of the time that I follow uh, a, a football outcome is based upon how it will affect baseball outcomes, You know how the fan base that roots for this team gets off the hook because their team won the Super Bowl. You know, like the Seattle Seahawks won the Super Bowl this decade, so therefore Seattle Mariners don't have the same pressure on them. You know, that's that's really what it is. Everyone assumes I'm a big Patriot fan because I'm a huge Red Sox fan, and I also am a big Celtic fan. But I follow the Celtics, not as closely as I follow uh, baseball, but I follow the Celtics, and I really want them to do well. I have more emotion attached to it. But it's hard not to get into a game that was yesterday that was just such a great back and forth game, and I really thought the Patriots were going to win the game. But even though I'm a native New Englander and everything like that, I can't help but be happy for the Eagles and their fans. I mean, it's an amazing story when you look at Nick Foles, who was a backup, whose career was over, who basically quit, and... He is in a Super Bowl, and people were saying, Oh, it doesn't, it's a shame the Eagles had a great season, but they've lost their quarterback. Here's how much I don't follow football I don't know the name of their starting quarterback. I think it's Wentz, I think they said. I'm not sure. But I love this story that he was considered to be the reason they weren't going to go to the Super Bowl, and not only did they go there, but he was the MVP. In a game where Tom Brady was amazing. Tom Brady was incredible. So it wasn't like you know a 13-10 a to 10 final. It was a shootout. And this guy who's considered to be a liability becomes a Super Bowl MVP. He has, as I said, he has m- as many Super Bowl championships as a quarterback as Joe Namath, Dan Fouts, Dan Marino, Fran Tarkington, Warren Moon, and Jim Kelly. Combined, tied with that group, and is one of the biggest heroes in the history of Philadelphia sports. Now, I I, I'm, I'm, I promise it's not going to be a Super Bowl edition, right? I I did think what would be the the one thing if I were if I were um, Falls, I would retire because he's you know instead of fighting for his job, say no, oh, this is how I'm going out because I was going to quit a few years ago. Now I'm going to quit as the Super Bowl MVP and champ, but. Set up a Patreon account and say, hey, Philadelphia fans, do you like that you have won a Super Bowl? If you do, contribute $10 to this Patreon account. And like if every diehard Eagles fan just gives him $10 a month in perpetuity, like, yeah, yeah, he'll be able to live well. Do And do that now, because believe me, after the Red Sox won the 2004 World Series, and Dave Roberts would have said that, he would be a, he would be just swimming in a Scrooge McDuck pile of money right now. Now, I am bringing this up because of the concept of championships not being won in a vacuum. I do look at titles based upon how it affects the other fan base, or specifically the baseball fan base. You know, when the Cleveland Cavaliers, I've made this point, won in 2016 against Golden State, it removed some of the blow of the Indians losing that year's World Series. It did. I'm sure it was still devastating for Indians fans, Well, part of the devastation in Cleveland was none of their teams ever win. They had none of them won since the Cleveland Browns in 1964. So they finally had a team that won. It relieved some of the the blow there. The dismantling of the Pittsburgh Pirates who had that wonderful run but couldn't get to the National League Championship Series, is somewhat lessened if you are a regional sports fan. If you are a a regional sports fan of Pittsburgh, knowing that you've had recent Super Bowl championships with the Steelers and the Pittsburgh Penguins have won a few. It softens the blow a little bit. And when you have a region that has multiple teams you really should have at least one parade a decade. Because if you go two decades without a parade from any of the teams, then all of a sudden you start looking and go like, oh man, are we long-suffering? Are we long-suffering? And it makes the next title all the sweeter. Remember all the recent Boston championships, none of the Boston teams won a single title between the 1986 Celtics and the Patriots in 2002. That's the, that's half of the 80s, all of the 90s, and a couple of years of the 2000s where there was no parades in Boston. Well, now there's, there's been an embarrassment of riches. But sometimes it takes a little bit of the pressure off of the other franchises. The Nuggets, the Colorado Avalanche, and the Rockies have a little bit of the pressure relieved from them when the Broncos won the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. It's weird that it works like that. And of course it assumes a complete sense of regionality with your fan base. Now I don't have the, I mean, I root for the Celtics because I grew up with Larry Bird and Parrish and Dennis Johnson and Kevin McHale and Danny Ainge and all of them. So I I have those warm memories. Of course, I'm a diehard Red Sox fan. I, I didn't inherit the Patriots as a team. And I really don't care about the Bruins. And if I have a hockey team, it's the San Jose Sharks because I was there when the Sharks were formed. So when you have a fan like me, where it's kind of my loyalties are all over the place, and you do meet people like that. But most people tend to be regional sports fans. And so a championship in the decade, could relieve some of that pressure. Think about in Philadelphia, not counting Balboa Drago, there was no Philadelphia champion between the Dr. J 76ers in 1983 and the Ryan Howard, Cole Hamels, Chase Sutley, Jimmy Rollins Phillies defeating Tampa Bay in 2008. That's a 25-year gap. 25 years where no I mean no titles for the Flyers, no titles for the 76ers, no titles for the Eagles, no titles for the Phillies. And along the way, all those teams lost in the final. The Eagles lost to the Patriots and along the way. The Phillies had the heartbreaking loss to Toronto. The, the Flyers lost to, um, who the hell did they lose? I think they lost to the Detroit Red Wings. And I think they also lost to the, if I'm not mistaken, they also lost to the Chicago Blackhawks. But I think that was after the Phillies. Forgive me, I don't know Stanley Cup history quite as well. And the 76ers got clobbered by the Lakers one year. And so you had 25 years between parades, and then you got to use the rule of seven. And for those of you relatively new to the River Sully, the rule of seven basically says that a fan doesn't really start following a team and developing concrete memories until they're around seven years old. So if you were born in 1983, you don't really have, you're not going to have a memory of the 76ers winning the title that year. And you really don't, you really wouldn't have a memory of anything like that until you are around six or seven years old. That's the rule of seven. So with that in mind, when the Phillies finally won the championship in 2008, defeating Tampa Bay, they did so, and it was for anyone who was basically 32 years old or younger and a Philadelphia fan, that was your first title. That was the first time you experienced... A championship and they didn't have to wait as long for the next one they waited you know glue under just let's just under 10 years for the next one and so you know they got one for last decade they got one for this decade there you go now what that does when you have a fan base that's hungry for a title getting a title it relieves the pressure of the other teams now there's a flaw to that argument, of course, is that it assumes that you value each team equally. Clearly, that is not the case for me. Uh, even if I say I'm a Patriot fan, which I don't consider myself one, uh, I was rooting for them. I, I make no bones about the fact I was rooting for the Patriots in last night's game and in all the playoff in the games against. Uh, Tennessee and against Jacksonville that being said if Jacksonville had won I said oh it's cool they've never been it before and I had my same reaction I was, well look at that the Eagles have a Super Bowl win and Nick Foles that's a great an all-time great story in the history of football boom but that being said I would trade every single Tom Brady Super Bowl all of them the Rams the Panthers The first one against the Eagles, Seahawks, Falcons, all of them. So we looked at the Patriots have zero Super Bowl championships. And I would exchange those for one of two things J.D. Drew getting a double with the bases loaded in Game 7 of the 2008 American League Championship Series, or to have the Celtics hold on to their lead against the Lakers in Game 7 of the 2010 NBA Finals. Wouldn't blink twice. But if you are a regional fan and you hold them at least in the same general ballpark of importance, this will be able to quench your thirst. Is Philadelphia an Eagles first town? That's really hard for me to know. When I was growing my first taste of sports fandom Around the time I was seven years old, the Phillies were one of the marquee teams in baseball. With you know, they had just acquired Pete Rose, they had Larry Boa, they had Mike Schmidt, they had Steve Carlton, they had Greg Luzinski. They were a team that were either always in the playoffs or damn close. They were one of those teams that were always an elite squad and wound up winning their first ever world championship in nineteen eighty. And in that time, Dr. J was the coolest guy in the NBA, and the Philadelphia 76ers were one of the elite squads. Now, around that time, too, the Eagles made the Super Bowl, but it's because of that, that initial introduction to Philadelphia sports, and I had many cousins who grew up in Delaware, so I had a sense of Philadelphia sports fandom I never thought of the Philadelphia as an Eagles' first town. I thought of them as a Phillies' and 76ers' first town. Now, I could be wrong in that. You know, the Phillies were bad for so many years that that stretch they went in from the mid-'70s to the mid-'80s may have been considered a little fluke blip in the history of Philadelphia sports. It just so happens that's when I was introduced to them. But if you're a Philly sports fan, Philadelphia sports fan, I should say, and a Philadelphia sports fan in general, this is a joyous day. Now, Bud Light is apparently handing out free beer at the Victory Parade. I'm not 100% sure what that accomplishes, why that's a good thing, whether they should do that or not, because I don't know if you saw the celebration yesterday... Uh, It was a riot, and there was damage that was done, and hotel awnings destroyed, and a man eating horse poop. I, I didn't make that up. I don't know if we should be handing out beer to this crowd. But, there you go. Whatever it is, fine. The thing that I find very interesting about this whole thing, is the pressure it takes off the Philadelphia Phillies. Now, the Phillies won the World Championship in 2008, and then they became a fascinating study of not knowing when to hold them and when to fold them. The 2008 team was, in my very humble opinion, not the best Phillies team of that era. We judge the greatness of a team Based upon what they do in October But anyone who watches the team Day in and day out would say The teams in 2010 and especially 2011 Were superior to the team in 2008 But they won't be remembered the same way Because the team in 2008 won the World Series The team in 2011 Which featured Roy Halladay Which featured Cliff Lee, 2008 did not was absolutely stacked, 100-win team, and looked like they were going to absolutely steamroll everybody in the National League. And they, had, they won game one of the division series handily, had a big lead in game two, and it looked like it was going to be an embarrassing sweep. And the Cardinals came back, and they won that final game one nothing when Chris Carpenter outpitched uh, Roy Hall- the late Roy Halladay. Still can't believe I say the late Roy Halladay. Now, I absolutely believe that a bounce here or a bounce there, the Phillies win that game, they clobber the Brewers, they clobber the Rangers, and they win the World Series. The Phillies were also a superior team in 2010, and they lost to the San Francisco Giants in a really, really competitive National Championship Series. Now, you can say, that the Giants, with their incredibly deep pitching staff that they had, were, you know, it was evenly matched in a way that people weren't expecting. And maybe that Giants team was the exact type of team to defeat a squad and, you know, the, the, the way that they were set up. with They didn't have Lee on that team, remember, but they had Roy Halliday, they had Oswald, they had Hamels. But then... But, but the 2011 team was the best Phillies team. And they had the rug pulled out from them in the division series. And it had an interesting effect on the team. Because there was a sense that that Phillies squad had another title in them. They lost the World Series in 2009 to the Yankees in a very competitive World Series. That World Series could have gone either way. Happened to go the way of the Yankees. They lost to the Giants in 2010. Okay, that Giants team was destined. The 2011 team was going to be the answer. This was going to be the second championship. This was going to be the thing that they could point to like, okay, this would put them along the lines of the big red machine. This was going to separate them from a squad like the Bobby Cox Atlanta Braves, who only could win it once. This was and, and separated from the Tony Larusa A's, who only won it once. And all these great teams like Sparky Anderson's Tigers squad, only won it once. The great Mets teams of the late 80s, only won it once. This was going to be the second title to answer any of the critics. And they looked stacked. And when they were stunned in the playoffs by the Cardinals, who went on to win the World Series, just to pour a little bit of salt in the proverbial wound, the Phillies acted for the next bunch of years like, okay, okay, we're going to do it again, right? We're going to do it again, right? We're gonna it. And they fell off a cliff, Lee. And they held on to their players too long. And they had ridiculous contracts that were handed out with a sense of, hey, we're keeping this team together. We're going to keep Utley and Howard and Rollins and Hamels and everyone's going to be all together forever, which seemed great when they were winning. But when they were breaking down, they couldn't rebuild, but they also couldn't quite pull the trigger on rebuilding because they kept saying, wait a minute, don't we have one more title left in us? And you take a look at some of the years they've had recently, 2013-89 losses. They lost 89 again in 2014. Again, both of those years were bad, but not so bad that you think, oh, if we get a little break, we may be able to contend next year. Then they hit rock bottom in 2015 when they lost 99 games. They've had three straight years of losing 90 games a year. But now a little pressure is removed from them. The pressure has been removed for a couple of reasons. The need to deliver a championship to Philadelphia is not as prevalent since the Eagles, who weren't exactly world beaters last year, are Super Bowl champs. Okay, Philadelphia, here you go. You've got your title. Now they have the room to rebuild. And they're doing a hell of a job of it. In fact, I believe that with a break here or a break there, the Philadelphia Phillies could very well be a wildcard contender next year. I'm not saying it's a lock, but did you have the Colorado Rockies being a wildcard team last year? It takes a couple of teams having disappointing seasons to break the logjam. Last year, you had the three teams that were perpetual contenders in this age fall on their face. The Pirates, the Giants, and the Cardinals fell on their face last year, allowing for Arizona and allowing for Colorado to sneak in and play the wild card game. It didn't last long. The Rockies lost the wildcard game and the Diamondbacks got swept, but they still had a successful season. Now, you take a look at Philadelphia. One thing that they have done, they have done well, is they have built this team from trades and from their farm and have removed a lot of the bad contracts. They've let some of them run out. They've traded away some of them. They've got out from underneath them, which is smart. They didn't have a great season last year. Obviously, no team that loses 96 games had a great season. But if you're going to lose 96 games, lose it by playing the Michael Francos of the world, by playing uh, Cesar Hernandez, who had a fine season last year, by playing the uh, Odubel Herrera, by playing Reese Hoskins. All of a sudden, all those players I just said are probably going to play postseason games in Philadelphia. Not this year, but Eventually. And they have virtually nothing on the books moving forward. We are looking at a potentially groundbreaking free agent class coming up, which may very well include Clayton Kershaw and Bryce Harper. Both of them could be free agents next year if everything falls the way it is. And here you have the Philadelphia Phillies, a team that has a very rich television contract and very little on the book saying, hmm, I wonder if we should spend some money right now. Now, I am going to do a podcast later this week where I address my thoughts on whether or not we're facing collusion. I've already made some of my opinions clear that it isn't as simple as The owners are colluding. It could just be a different mentality that's going on that values players in a different way or doesn't want the long-term deals like what sunk the goddamn Phillies. Sorry, Ray. But with a little bit of relief and patience could be the single best thing to ever happen to Phillies and their fans. Look, the Philadelphia Phillies are not going to win the National League East this year. Do you know why? Because the Washington Nationals are better than them. They are. And chances are Arizona's going to be better than them. Chances are St. Louis is going to be better than them. And probably either San Francisco or Colorado are going to be better than the Phillies. So that's five teams. One in their division and four outside their division You could probably write down an anchor going to be better than the Phillies. Great. Do you know what that means? They're not going to make the playoffs this year. That means you pitch your Aaron Nolas. You pitch your Jarrett Icos, You pitch your Ben Livelys. You pitch, you go on their farm and you look at your your second baseman like Scott Kingrey. You look at your, your catcher like... Jorge Alfaro, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his name right, or J.P. Crawford in the infield. You look at Mickey Moniak, who was the number one pick overall in 2016, who didn't have a great year, but you, maybe you throw him into the fire and you see what he's got. They're not exactly crawling with great pitching prospects, but you see what you've got. And you can look at this year as an absolute mulligan from Phillies fans. And then, if you go out and the next year say, hey, we're going to sign Bryce Harper. We're going to sign Manny Machado. Think about Harper for a second. Or think about Kershaw for a second. Both of those players. Let's think about them and why they may wind up in Philadelphia. Because... The Yankees made their big play for a big, huge slugger and bring in Giancarlo Stanton. And even they don't want to fly super far past the luxury tax. The Red Sox are dancing around it right now. L.A. is trying to figure out what to do with it. And the Cubs, not 100% sure if they're going to be in that game as well. So what does that leave you? That leaves you a high-revenue team like Philadelphia with nothing on the books. Saying, so, hmm... We actually can afford to bring this player in. And all of a sudden you say, hey, why don't we add Clayton Kershaw to a starting rotation with a couple of good young pitchers and say, hey, you don't have to worry about being the ace anymore. We have a Hall of Famer. Boom. Hey, we have a really solid lineup, but what if we put in a Bryce Harper and remove him from Washington? Boom. And what if they take a look at this year's free agent class and say, hmm, nobody's signing a uh, Jake Arrieta. Maybe we can get him for a three-year deal instead of a prohibitive five-year deal and see what we got. Boom. This is the advantage of not having the pressure to win right now in Philly. They could be the big high rollers next year. And if you look at this year and say, look, at, we are not expected to win. We probably won't win. And the, the sports fans are probably still a little hungover. And the police are not ready for another parade yet. Boom, boom, boom. We could be coming here... In 2019, and saying, Holy cow, did you see Kershaw just sign with the Phillies? Yeah. And the team just developed Kingry and Crawford and Cisto Sanchez in their rotation, along with Aaron Nola. The Phillies are going to be good. And man, the Nationals are starting to fall off a cliff because a great run. This will be twenty, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. This is the seventh year of a run for Washington. How fast can a team fall off a cliff, even with good, solid young players? Just ask the Phillies. Are the Mets going to be in a position to be doing anything? Are the Marlins going to be in a position to do anything? If the Nats take a step back right around the time their big, huge superstar is ready for free agency, and right around the time teams usually tend to fade out on their great runs, guess who will be there to pick up the slack and have tons of money to spend? The Phillies. This is going to be a fascinating year for the Phillies. When you see a team with lots of money and don't even think for a second... The Phillies don't have lots of money. They have a huge television contract. They're a big Northeastern market. They've got money. They just aren't spending it now because there's no reason to spend it now because you're developing your team right now. They brought in Carlos Santana, which is a nice acquisition, a good, solid veteran. Boom, put him at first base. You got a good, solid hitter in the middle of your lineup with a lot of young kids. And then you go into next year looking to spend money. Gabe Kapler is the new manager. They have a new analytics department working things in Philadelphia. It would be amazing to see what this team will be if they can just use their farm and use their team right now to fill in as many holes as possible. It kind of reminds me of where the Cubs were a few years ago. The Cubs who were starting to, when they were pretty lousy not too long ago. Remember that? The Cubs were a 96-loss team just like the Phillies were. The Phillies lost 96 games last year. The Cubs lost 96 games in 2013. But they were laying down the groundwork. By 2014 they were making the right trades and putting the pieces into place. And by 2015 they won 97 games and got to the first of their three straight nationally championship series, which included the most unlikely victory of all, the 2016 World Series title. And maybe, just maybe, the Phillies are lining things up. So by the time you get to 2020, the Phillies would be in line to be a World Series winner, which would mean the decade of the 2020s. Philadelphia would have their title. And yes, 2020 is the beginning of a new decade. Okay? Knock it off, those that no, twenty twenty is actually the end of the twenty tens. Just stop it. The twenty tens begin with twenty ten. The twenty twenties begin with twenty twenty. And if the Phillies win a World Series then, and my whole idea that you know a big sports region should have at least one parade a decade they'd be able to check it off and put the Flyers, 76ers, and Eagles at a position to take off the rest of the decade and say, you take care of the 2030s. It's an interesting time to be a Philadelphia sports fan. You've seen a team that many people thought would never win finally win and do so in spectacular fashion. And now their baseball team could be set up to be a powerhouse Not now But for the next decade And wouldn't that be something For a young Philadelphia fan Who says, hey, wait a minute My teams always win So go to SullyBaseball.com, like me on Facebook Subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher Instagram, I'm everywhere The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. And you be old school Send me an email at info at SullyBaseball.com Did I say that? I don't remember talking Philadelphia sports and realizing things could be pretty good in Philly for the next bunch of years. This has been the Sully Baseball Podcast for the fifth day of February 2018. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.